Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. June is here, which means it's time for summer fun. Playing on the beach, grilling with your friends and loved ones, and of course, road road trips. trips. And what would a road trip be without a car? A walking trip. So this week, we're bringing you a classic episode of Tangents about cars. What are they? Where do they come from? You're about to find out. And if you like hearing us talk about cars, you might consider joining our Patreon. Once we hit 500 subscribers, we're going to do a movie commentary for the film Cars 2, in which we will try to unravel the mysterious and disturbing biology of the cars world. And we're so close to hitting our goal. So please go check out patreon.com slash scishowtangents while you enjoy this episode. Beep, beep. And welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Chin. Hello. What's the best, like, uh, road surface? Probably pavement, but, like, (laughs) well-maintained asphalt. What's your tagline? Uh, Hot sauce paradise. Oh. I don't know why that made me feel like I was going to take a bath in hot sauce, but I don't want to do that. Sam Schultz is also here today. Hello. Sam, what was your first screen name? Oh, I've never had one I liked, so I don't even remember. What's your tagline? World-renowned inventor of the breakfast hot dog. I love the sound of that. Sari Riley is joining us as well today. Hello. Do you have a favorite monkey? Oh, 
Um, just like a gorilla, because its scientific name is Gorilla Gorilla. <laughs> and I gave a report on them in first grade, and I think it was the first ever school report that I practiced. What's your tagline, Sari? An asymmetrical shirt. Mm. Oh. And I'm Hank Green, and my tagline is glass half empire. Wow. <laughs> What's ominous. the other half? It was almost something. <laughs> <laughs> Every week here on SciShow Tangents, we try to one-up and amaze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. We're also keeping score and awarding sandbucks from week to week. And we do what we can to stay on topic, but we're not great at that. So if somebody goes off on a tangent and the rest of the team deems it unworthy, we will force you to give up one of your sandbucks. So tangent with care. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam. Ford, Focus, Honda Fit, the Stingray and the Corvette, Riviera and Camaro, Chevrolet, Bel Air. Expedition and Explorer, Pinto, it was quite a horror. Thunderbird, Firebird, the Edsel Corsair. Do, 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 El Camino, pick up bed, put in gas that's got no lead. Take your woody to the beach, make the rubber tire screech. Aero car with flight bestowed, amphicar aquatic mode. If the road is what you seek, for a steering wheel you reach. These are all types of cars. Got combustion engines, people riding in them. These are all types of cars. There's also the Range Rover. Now my poem is over. Wow. Yes. Wow. What were you thinking? Well, I thought of the, these are all types of cars in the shower. (laughs) So I thought of the whole chorus while I was in the car or in the shower. And then the rest I had to just make work because I couldn't. I couldn't think of anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Terry, what is a car? Well, that's a great question. I feel like from my heart, a car is something that if I point and look at it, it has an engine, like a combustion Mm -hmm. engine. Well, it doesn't have to be a combustion engine. Tesla makes cars. Okay. And then cars usually have four wheels. I guess they can be electric or gas powered and can usually carry passengers or I don't know, are operated by a driver sometimes, whether that driver is a human or a computer. Sari, where does the word car come from? Like in other places, they call them auto. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That That comes from like automobile, which is like a mobile thing that moves by itself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But car Mm -hmm. comes from the Proto-Indo-European cursos from the root word K-E-R-S, or KERS, which means to run. Ah. And then it seems like from there, it got adapted to any sort of moving thing. So it turned into car for chariot or wagon, Uh and then just like kept moving through the wheel vehicles that humans (laughs) developed. Interesting. And now it is time for... One of our panelists has brought three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real, and the other two are totally fake, and we have to figure out, either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. If we do, we get a sandbuck. If we're tricked, then Stefan will get the sandbuck, because Stefan has brought Mm. the facts today. Stefan, what are your facts? Okay, this is about recycling tires. So we produce... (laughs) 
several hundred million waste tires in the U.S. every year. And about 90% of them are actually recycled, which is very surprising. But burning them counts as recycling, and we burn about half of them. That's definitely not recycling. <laughs> and what, like, are you talking about like in an incinerator where they generate power? Yeah, yeah. They like mulch Still them up. Still not recycling. And then, well... It, they're reused in a way that is not they are, clean. <laughs> they, are, they are used. I can tell you that they are used. <laughs> well, by most articles' definitions, it's counted as recycling. But apparently also the, the tires that are just sitting around in landfills and stuff are... There, there's a problem with like mosquitoes using them as like mm-hmm. a breeding ground. So that's not good. So here are three things that are ways that we could potentially recycle some tires, but only one of them mm-hmm. is true. Okay. Number one, we could use old tires to make new tires. So <laughs> <laughs> I love the possibility that this one isn't true. Well, it's so, just like an impossibility. Okay, so continue. It, it is possible already, but you can okay. only use a small amount of recycled material in each new tire. Mm-hmm. And the new tires that are made this way are worse. They have worse traction and they wear out much faster. But a team in Singapore recently made a breakthrough in processing old tires using a freeze-drying process. And then the resulting recycled rubber was much higher quality, which opens the door for a more circular economy with tires. (laughs) Number two, we could use old tires as a replacement for human tissues. So a Swedish team has developed a process to refine old tire material into a very soft elastic material that could be used as in its solid or liquid form to make medical devices or to even be injected into the body. As an example, reducing friction in joints where the cartilage has broken down. Whoa. Uh, Or number three, we could use them in batteries. So by processing recovered carbon black from tires and bathing them in sulfuric acid, researchers were able to make anodes for lithium-ion batteries that outperformed electrodes made from the typically used graphite. Yeah, very interesting. So, fact number one, we've got a Singapore scientists freeze-drying tires to that allows them to more easily re-enter the tire-making, I don't know, supply chain, I guess, Number two, creating some kind of substance that you can use inside of human bodies to reduce friction in joints, maybe. Or three, uh, you can process some recovered carbon black from tires to make anodes for lithium-ion batteries that are better than the anodes that we currently use. Tell me more about injecting <laughs> tires well, into my no body. Well, they're no longer tires at that point. It's derived from... Okay, <laughs> so they do something to uh, the tires. Yeah, I mean, they're doing things... To all, all of these are processed versions of tires. Yeah, They're being very cagey. <laughs> Do they like re-petroleumize them or something? Is that what tires are made out of? I don't know. You got to turn them back into something slippery, though. The the injection one is the one that I know the least about the process. Yeah, and I guess like just thinking about property wise, not knowing enough chemistry or having Stefan inform us of the chemistry, it's like you take a rubber. And then make it into probably smaller chain hydrocarbon. And you do use organic chemicals as drug molecules or things like that. So like that basic, basic logic 
is conceivable. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't set out any red flags off. But mm-hmm. also I just keep thinking of injecting <laughs> tires into myself and becoming the Michelin man. Which <laughs> 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 is not this. Those are so much bigger. My joints could be tires. <laughs> I can definitely see some kind of system for when you process a tire pre-recycling to make it better for recycling. I don't know what what like what happens to a tire in use or like like how tires are made and that requires certain kinds of chemicals in certain kinds of ways that like the existing tire rubber would would be bad for for some reason but i could definitely if you're trying to get like old tires back into new tires it makes sense to me that you would need to mm-hmm. do some chemistry to them before you did that what is freeze drying just sucking all the water out of it I think so. It is both sucking water out and making it cold. But I feel like there's there's not a lot of water in a tire. I think it's also like a vacuum thing. So freeze drying, I think like it does that by sucking out all of the everything. And so so you you suck out, you like get them in a vacuum basically, and like you both make them cold and put them in a vacuum at the same time. So freeze drying, I don't think necessarily has to mm. be about water. It could be about sucking out other volatiles. Hmm. What was the last one? Carbon black. And a battery? I, I'm i not going to Google what carbon black is, but I know it's a thing. It's, I know it's, it exists. Yeah. It's like a black sooty looking stuff that's left over from partially combusting hydrocarbons. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's different than like activated charcoal or something like that. It's like yes. a separate material, yeah. but still black and powdery. Yeah. I've heard that it has some kind of interesting nanoscale structure. You can get like buckyballs and nanotubes and stuff carbon black maybe maybe or like maybe you make those things from carbon black sometimes i don't know well i'm gonna go with carbon black i feel like carbon black is useful and maybe tires are a good way to get it i don't know why that would be that's how i feel i'm also gonna go with the last one i don't know why it was like in listening to stefan explain all of these my brain was very skeptical for the first two and then the third (laughs) one was like "Eh, sure I think I'm going to go for the the first one, the freeze-dried tires, just because, like, I know repurposed tires are bad, or at least I've heard that, because, mm-hmm. like, truck drivers use them sometimes, I think, <laughs> and they, like, fling tire chunks all over the place. So <laughs> that just seems like seems like something people will be trying to solve to me, too. I agree. If it is the middle one, I'm going to be incensed, because there's no way that people are injecting lubricant into their joints. Okay. Oh, before Stefan tells us, go to twitter.com slash scishowtangents and vote for the one that you think is correct and play along with us, because we have such a small sample size here in the SciShow Tangents virtual studio. So join us over there. Uh, pause if you must, and then Stefan, tell us the answer. So the true one is the batteries. Ugh. Yay! Yeah, I don't know if carbon black, if like the best way to get it is from tires, but I think if I'm remembering correctly, 70% of all carbon black is used in the production of tires. Hmm. Isn't it what gives the tires their color? This is the thing that I wanted to say, but wanted to mislead Hank and Sam. Like (laughs) tires would be a naturally a different color, but then it helps darken them. So they look cool. I think it, yeah, (laughs) I think it does contribute to that. Um, they, because they mentioned that it's used for, as a pigment in like some inks or plastics or things. So, and it's it's like a very black substance on its own. So that would make sense to me. 
but they this team has developed their proprietary like process using this sulfuric acid bath to pre-treat the rubber and then like heating it up until it all breaks down and then they use the recovered carbon black from that to make the anodes for lithium ion batteries specifically and i guess for for that kind of battery those anodes are usually made from graphite which is also a form of carbon but that's a very like the production of graphite is pretty dirty and so this is a much cleaner way to do it and you mentioned like the the sort of nanostructures on the surface of carbon black and that seems to be playing a part here too where the those unique structures make it perform better than graphite as an anode. I think it has to do with the number size and like distribution of the little nanopores on the surface, but it's I don't know, it's all very complicated and I didn't understand it. <laughs> but those structures combined with their like proprietary pretreatment process uh seem to improve its like efficiency at conducting electricity. And so yeah, that's it ends up being a cheaper and cleaner and better anode for lithium batteries which is i think the primary one that's used in electric cars yes so are there is are we are we injecting people with lubricants stefan okay so this one has nothing to do with tires <laughs> but uh there was a sw- this swedish team was trying to make a hard like bone like synthetic substance um and i think they started with the same foundation material as plexiglass but after they did their like special process to it, they ended up with a really soft, elastic, rubber-like material that they were very surprised by. No good for bones. Not good for bones, but because it's based on materials that we know are safe in the body, and they apparently can use it in solid or liquid form. They were saying the first use they were looking at was like to make catheter tubes. So like you can make medical devices out of it, but it can also be injected or inserted into the body and should be fairly non-toxic. And so they were looking at like using it in a viscous liquid form to like re-lubricate your joints after the cartilage has decayed. Or they said that you could also use it in plastic surgery in place of like Botox. And so then the freeze-dried one is not about tires. Well, it is about tires, but it's using tires to make rubber aerogels. Oh. And so it's, it's this team in Singapore. They filed a patent this year for like their novel technology for turning tires into rubber aerogel. And I didn't realize that aerogels, I thought it was just like one material that's like really this really low density airy mm. stuff. But apparently it could be a range of materials that are produced in a certain way so that you end up with, like you take this gel and you freeze dry it, which removes all the liquid but it leaves the solid matrix that's in the gel. And so then you have like an aerogel, but you can have an aerogel made from a bunch of different things. And I guess they're the first ones to make this rubber aerogel. And aerogels in general are kind of brittle, but this one, because it's rubbery, can sort of spring back into shape. And so they think it'll be, it's much more durable (laughs) than other versions of it. What's aerogel? So when you have a gel, a gel is like solid particles mixed with liquid particles. And an aerogel is when those liquid particles are gas oh. instead of being liquid. Is it squishy? Um, it's not as squishy as you would think. Have you touched it? I thought it would be squishy. I have touched aerogel. It felt like a dry cracker. You've touched it too? When was oh, this? Are you touching yeah. this stuff? <laughs> Got so many yeah. things to be cranky about today. <laughs> have to define cars. I haven't touched Aerogel and my friends have. <laughs> well, I hope that you're not cranky about the break that we're about to take. This is my segue.
SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are have a tie Ooh. ball game right now. Ooh. Everybody has one point. Cool. Which is pretty yeah. unusual. But Sari and I have a chance to take the lead because it's time for the fact off. 
We've each brought in a science fact to present to the other in an attempt to blow their minds. And whichever fact blows the mind the most is going to be rewarded a sandbuck by the people we are presenting our facts to. And the, who goes first is going to be decided with a trivia question. It will be read to us by Stefan. So the question is, horsepower is a unit of measure equal mm-hmm. to the power needed to lift how many pounds oh. one foot into the air in one second? Oh, rats. It's like oh, one wow. horse. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> how much does a horse weigh? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to guess 50 pounds. Wait, what is the thing? One foot in the air? In one second. Oh, in one second? 200. Yeah, I was. I felt like I was low. Hank's only experienced weak horses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the answer is 550 pounds. Oh, Oof, gosh. Which, yeah, very strong. Okay, I'll go first. So I've heard one thing that can feel really satisfied when you're driving a car is the vroom vroom <laughs> of an engine. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, You've driven a car before, right? <laughs> Yeah, Stefan really likes the vroom vroom. <laughs> yeah. I'm ambivalent to it. If it can get me from one place to another, I like it. So these particular vroom sound waves come from the combustion in engine cylinders and the way the engine is shaped and how engine cylinders fire and the airflow through the intake and exhaust systems and different combinations of those movement make different vrooms. And modern engines are built in ways so that the natural engine sounds are quieter or relatively non-existent, like I mentioned with electric cars. But car companies are like, people really like the vroom. So in an apparently controversial move, certain automakers are using different means of sound enhancement to make cars sound more (sighs) car-like through amplification or even artificially. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm not surprising Stefan with this. My mind was blown. I was like, people care about the room enough to fake it? They do. Um, so one in Ford and maybe Porsches have a thing called a sound symposer, which is basically a tube that runs from the air intake, I think, or engine intake, one of those things, to behind the dashboard to pipe the good sound waves in. And there's an electronic flap that opens and closes to give you more vroom at appropriate times, like when you're speeding up and less vroom. Wow. Hmm. This isn't for the people around. It's for just for you. Yeah. It's like personalized sound. So you can feel like you're going fast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Number two, BMW has a system that plays a synthetic engine sound through the car's speakers, which is basically like a vroom soundtrack combined with some amplification of the actual engine sound. So that's like half artificial, half real. And number three, Volkswagen has something called the sound actor or sound actuator, which is a sort of buzzing hockey puck sized speaker that adds noise to the part of the car um, between the engine and the cabin for the vroom sound. And it's completely from an audio file on the car's computer as far as I can tell, or it was for a while. And then I think now it might be a mix. Wow. And that's my fact. It's just like, apparently people love the vroom so much that they're Car companies are inventing many different ways to sneak it into. Right. <laughs> and all of them and all of them are just for the person driving the car. All of the ones you talked about just now? Mm-hmm. So yeah. weird. Look, driving a car is a five sense experience. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if you don't have the right sounds, it's just not the same. Well, yeah. I feel it. And I like the idea of having the sound piped in so that I on the street do not have mm. to hear it just because you in the car wish to. So if you want to if you want your car to be loud and you have to make it so loud that you it feels loud in the car when the like the noise maker part of the car is pointing back away from you. Then you're going to have to make that way louder. So I want them to pipe it in so that you feel like your car is super loud. The second thing is, 
I, it's interesting mm-hmm. that they're trying to make this, you hear the natural sound rather than the Volkswagen angle of like, we just pipe it in through the speakers mm-hmm. because it has to be this like natural thing <laughs> or else people will be like, this yeah. is fake. Yes. But I like the fake angle because then theoretically I can hack my car and make it sound like a pigeon. <laughs> well, that's great, Sari. Um, I'm really impressed because that's like, I feel like that's a fairly deep cut from the car world yes. for, for a non-car person to find. <laughs> that was my hope. I was like, I want some car people to listen to this episode and feel satisfied afterwards. So I hope I taught you something. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. There were so many different ways to do it, too. Everybody's got a different idea. But it's not as good as this fact. <laughs> so um, automatic transmissions are great, and I use one and have never not used one. They were invented in the early 20th century and worked really well for several decades with less than one million failures every year. But around 1975, the number of failures in automatic transmissions shot up to around 8 million per year. Why? Because of the Endangered Species Act and import bans. What? So it turns out, we all know what the Endangered Species Act is. It was passed to protect animals that were on the verge of extinction, including the sperm whale. What the heck does this have to do with automatic transmissions? Well, sperm whale oil was used as the oil in automatic transmissions to keep them running smoothly up until 1975. It's been used a lot, this substance, in cars and ships and other industries because it's really good at not oxidizing and maintaining a steady viscosity over a wide range of temperatures. But there's no way to get sperm whale oil except to kill sperm whales. And so uh, when we decided to stop doing that so much and also to ban the import of sperm whale oil from non-participating countries to uh, to decrease the demand on their population. Uh, there just wasn't a way to get the oil. So uh, car companies had a really hard time replacing that oil. Their initial attempts would corrode the fittings that connected the transmission's cooling unit to the radiator, causing oil to get into the radiator and antifreeze to get into the transmission. And that was really bad. GM had an informal arrangement to pay back the work that people had to do to fix this issue, which was around $2,000 in today's dollars. If you had a problem like this, GM would like give you the money, but there was no formal recall. But eventually chemistry has a way to solve problems. And in this case, instead of sperm whales, we mm-hmm. found the jojoba plant. Oh. And its oil is an ester, just like sperm whale oil. And that makes it distinct from many vegetable oils and it gives it a longer shelf life. And jojoba seeds are about 50% oil. But because there were not a lot of jojoba plants in uh, production at the time, they just used that as a model for creating synthetic oils that would do the same job as the sperm oil or the jojoba oil. And that uh, was what we ended up using in cars to fix that problem. All right, everybody, time to make your assignments of points. So will it be Sari's fact? Some car manufacturers <laughs> artificially and controversially enhance engine sounds because people like the vroom. Or my fact, when car manufacturers were no longer able to use sperm whale oil in transmission, they developed new fluids based on jojoba oil. Three, two, one. Hank Sari? Yes. Ah, dang it. I wanted both of those. I wanted both of those. 
I got Stefan Cargaichin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I didn't know about the sperm whale thing, though. That's that uh, How too. could you not give the point to the sperm whale thing if you didn't know about it? Well, because he likes noise. I'm a vroom vroom man, so I'm uh, I'm uh, more personally invested in Sari's fact. Also, the sperm whale oil went vroom vroom. It made the cars vroom more. I also drive a manual, yeah. Yeah. That explains it. Um, yeah. I don't need sperm whale oil. Yeah, just pump in that vroom sound and you're good to go. Yeah. yeah. And now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from at Kreb Shouting, who says, I've always wanted to know why we settled on wheels, not tracks, like a tank or legs, like those in robots that can navigate rough terrain. And why four? Uh, I think I can... Like, clearly say legs is a a harder problem to solve. (laughs) Legs is bad, yeah. (laughs) But, but Sari, do you you have anything on on why wheels are better than tracks? I think for similar but less Uh obvious reason than, like, legs are are complicated and expensive and difficult to balance. But tracks versus wheels, physics-wise, give you different advantages. And most of the reading that I did on this had to do with tanks Mm -hmm. or construction equipment because you don't see like consumer vehicles rolling Mm -hmm. around on tracks. But it seems like tracks are, as the name would imply, really good for traction and rough terrain and distribute the pressure across Mm -hmm. the ground better. So if you think of like a snowboard versus an ice skate, where like the ice skate has a really thin blade and like puts pressure and melts the ice. But also if you're like walking in snow, it'll probably sink in. But a snowboard, Mm. it distributes the pressure. So you can sit on top of the snow, even though it's still holding your weight. Tracks on snow can distribute the weight of the vehicle more, whereas wheels Mm -hmm. are more likely to sink in because they have four points of pressure. But on the other hand, wheels are easier to control and turn. So it makes your vehicle more spry. And it's just like lower cost, lightweight, all things that vehicle manufacturers probably looked at. Mm -hmm. And were like, ah, yes, why would I equip every single car with slow, Mm -hmm. expensive tracks when I could just do tires, which are cheaper and easy to replace? If you inflate a tire, it becomes the size it should be. And it's important to have inflated stuff when we're driving because inflated things don't tear up the road, which is something that we don't often think about. Mm. It's like the impact of the of the tire on the road matters. And it would be difficult to have an inflatable track, too, uh, <laughs> that would, like, wrap around these interior wheels because I, I think if you drove, you know, a traction track like a tank has on roads, if we were all doing that, the roads would need to be replaced every few months. <laughs> well... We maybe we just wouldn't need roads. <laughs> you could yeah. just roll around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where we're going, we don't need roads uh. because they've all disintegrated because <laughs> we drive tanks now. That feels like something that we're gonna look back on this episode in ten years and be like, ah, Hank was right. He was ahead of the curve on everybody driving tanks. <laughs> yeah, the next step isn't flying cars, it's tanks. Yeah. So everyone can still yeah. go wherever they want, <laughs> but we just haven't figured out yeah. how to lift off. Yeah. So well if, if Elon yeah. Musk has this way, the next step 
Jefferson flying cars, it's burrowing cars. We'll just have mm. big drill bits on the front of our cars. We can go anywhere Ooh. we want. I love that and the instability it'll lend to every yes. single thing on this planet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be great. We'll just drive right through the sewer pipes, the water pipes, telecommunications, whatever. I didn't know that. That is like sincerely yeah, worrying to me that he thinks it's a good idea. That's he doesn't actually no, he doesn't want I mean, individual guess, cars to drill. Oh, he just wants the tunnel. Yeah, okay. he wants uh, lots of yeah. tunnels. But for clarity, Sari. It's still a terrible idea. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you photoshopped a Tesla with a drill and sent it to me in like a press release type article, I would think it was real. If you want to ask the science couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out topics from upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Aaron Winnick, at Mads2103, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions for this episode. Final Sandbox scores... Sari and I tied for the lead, Sam and Stefan, coming in just one point behind us, which leads us to Stefan and Sari still being tied? Yeah, I really could have influenced that game by giving my point to Hank, but... Yeah, uh, you could have. And it's not like I'm going to do anything with it, because I am (laughs) a full 10 points behind you guys. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show and is also possibly good for an algorithm. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Jim. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tunamedish. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. So everybody likes heated seats, right? And they warm up your butt because it's a butt fact. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also if you're somebody with testicles, they might warm up those too. So some Mm. researchers were wondering about that because heated testicles can be a problem. So in 2008, a group of researchers (laughs) published their results following a study of 30 men who were asked to sit for 90 minutes on either a heated or unheated car seat uh, and then had their scrotal (laughs) temperatures measured. So men who sat on unheated seats averaged a scrotal temperature of 36.7 degrees Celsius and those on heated seats had a scrotal temperature of 37.3 degrees Celsius. Uh, So based on these (laughs) results, the researchers suggested that hot car seats could impact semen quality, though they did not investigate further within this experiment. So I guess this doesn't just apply to heated seats, but also like a real hot leather seat that you sit on. (laughs) Well, scrotums are the most weird part of Mm -hmm. the body. They sure are. Yeah.